Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this episode we talk about the trials, tribulations and struggles of coping as a product manager in lockdown. We find out how my guest got featured in an article on the BBC, how he feels about the photo they used, and some of the response he's had from the product management community. We also speak about the perils of hustle culture and why it's okay to be okay. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Jack Stevens, personal finance-obsessed cyclist and golfer, former cobbler, senior product manager at Publicist Sapient, looking to put the customer at the heart of tech projects. Also, a few months back, featured in a BBC News article entitled Stress, Burnout and Redundancy, Tough Times in IT, about his struggles to adjust to working life in lockdown. Hi, Jack. How are you tonight? Very well. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, how are you? I'm all good. Thanks very much. So, we'll go into more detail about the BBC article in a bit, but how's uh, lockdown number three been for you so far? Lockdown number three for me has been significantly more stable than the first, shall we say. (laughs) It feels a little bit like old hat now. I don't know about you, Jason, but I feel much better prepared and equipped to be able to handle the, the ebbs and flows of a lack of social life combined with um, quite a lot of working pressure. Yeah, I, I remember social lives. <laughs> I just want to go to the pub. <laughs> just any pub, even, yeah. even the worst pub. So, <laughs> so, so, so you work for Publicist Sapient. And for the benefit of, of the listeners, uh, who are Publicist Sapient and what problem do they solve? Yeah, no problem at all. So we are a business transformation specialist. The same strapline, I guess, that a lot of other professional services firms probably talk about on a regular basis, but we blend together technology, product, management consulting, and creatives to basically find solutions for businesses trying to evolve, keep up with the competition, stay ahead of market forces. And uh, I've been there for about a year and a half now. So are you working with uh, quite big companies on transformation journeys or or is it a real mixture? We do, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're quite wedded to, to some quite large organisations. For example, Lloyds Banking Group is one of our big clients nationwide. Um, we've got strong acumen in financial services, but uh, we do also have an innovation part of the business as well, which is working with smaller organisations, startups, scale-ups to try and build out some capability and understand how to go from that that sort of seed of an idea all the way up to to scale and uh, and doing things that are much more enterprisey. And it's a pretty big company as far as I understand, but also very uh, flat and collaborative. Do you work primarily within the one office or do you have a pretty distributed team? So the teams that I've been working in on projects this year have ranged from Singapore to Japan, our Australian office as well. But uh, primarily, I've, when we're actually allowed to go into an office based <laughs> out of uh, the, the one in Farringdon, uh, so it's just next to Farringdon Station on Turnmill Street, which is great. We only moved into there last year. But for me, it's um, it's always been, just like you say, an incredibly flat organization. You can I've never had any problem speaking to anyone else. No one leads with their job titles. Everyone leads with the experience they've had. Um, and that's really what brings, I think, that je ne sais quoi to, to different projects <laughs> that I've worked on so far is is people who are just really interested in taking what they've learned previously and using it to both deliver great products for, for, for our clients, but also do things a bit differently. 
and we're we were acquired by Publicis a couple of years ago, and as a result, we now have this kind of power of one where we can speak to any other part of the organization, part of the group. So, you know, they've got digital marketing specialists, advertising specialists. So we have this, I think, differentiated offering in the market that will allow us to give that full professional services support to people who really need it. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's interesting as well, because the kind of open collaborativeness, especially after acquisitions, doesn't always seem to work out. So it sounds like the company's uh, gone in the right direction. They work really hard at it. It's not it's not an easy thing to do. Everyone, once you're acquired and once you're part of a big group like Publicis, each one of the agencies that works underneath it wants to keep its own identity because that's what made it so attractive to to be bought in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So being able to promote that and propagate it and support the agencies in having those identities while also giving them the incredible strength that a large conglomerate like Publicis brings. I think is a it's a fine line to balance, but they do work really hard at it. They try and try and promote those across pollination at every opportunity. I think. No, that's excellent, and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, but, uh, you're a senior product manager there. I am. Yes. <laughs> for your sins, what are you uh, working on for them right now? Uh, working on a project for one of our our larger clients at the moment. We're effectively just transforming the way that they've traditionally done business. And I'd love to be able to talk more about it. Oh, I understand. Yeah, it's one of those. But um, but it's fascinating for me. I'm seeing a new, I'm seeing the delivery of product through an entirely new lens. I've not worked on a project like this one before, but I understand the way it works. And I think there's uh, there's a lot happening all at once, which it's the first time I've seen kind of agile and and product and transformation at scale and been really in there in the weeds and it's uh, it's fascinating when you say scale that doesn't mean you're using something like scaled agile or anything like that does it please tell me that you're keeping it uh, as simple as you can we are trying to keep it as, as simple as we possibly can yeah it's while i am i am actually say five PSPO. Oh, there you go. PMPO, POPS. Safe royalty. Yes, something like that. I am qualified to do that. I think it's really hard to put scaled agile into practice. I think it's really difficult to take something that is designed around agility and self organization and put it into an enterprise landscape that is designed around rigor and rigmarole and reporting and governance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know I don't know what the answer is, but it does feel sometimes like it could be overcomplicating things. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hold my tongue on that one, but um yeah, I def- <laughs> I definitely can understand the challenges. But you've got a long and interesting work history from being a cobbler or at least a trainee cobbler through to um various marketing roles, data management. I think you've had some project management in there as well then moving into more sort of product-related roles. So that's that's a bit of a journey. How, how did you get into to product management originally and, and what made you make the move? I think I'm, I run counter, I think, to some of the people that you've had on the podcast before, is that I have never really known what it is that I wanted to do. <laughs> and And as a result, have always just wanted to do a really good job at the thing that's in front of me. But pair that with quite a short attention span and <laughs> what, what you end up doing is is building this patchwork quilt of different roles as I've tried to test out what I enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis and well, 
That's the essence of product management as well, though, right? And, it, it, you know, it's almost like a lean career. Exactly, which is which is I've fallen into it accidentally because product really fits my mentality. I'm interested in building new things for customers, the same customer problems that I have, because you know financial services for me is where I like to to focus my energies. It's something that I'm interested in on, on a personal level, and as a result, I just want to do new and and interesting things and I want to do it quickly and I want to get something out to market and learn about it as soon as possible and then develop the next thing. So product management breaks down these really big this really big career thing, if you want to call it that, into these really manageable chunks of bits that I can do. Is I can build this bit of this product at this company and it just sort of all rolls up eventually into something that ends up being the career I've started now in in, in product. Well, there you go. And uh, I'm assuming that all of those uh, different bits of varied background have, have helped you have a different angle on on different problems as well as, you, as you've kind of come through that as well, because you've not just been, you, you've not just been going down one path and just, just have the experience of that path. You've, you've seen things in a number of different uh, areas and, and functions. Yeah, I think so. One thing that also helps with is, um, is empathy. And for me, product management is becoming or has become in my mind a negotiator role first and foremost trying to balance user needs with business requirements and technical feasibility is really really tricky but being able to understand the motivations of the people that are asking you to get stuff done or asking you to solve their needs or telling you that things aren't going to be delivered in a short time frame or that you need more resource to go here and here Understanding where their motivation is coming from is really important because nobody's going to nobody's going to help you if the decisions you make don't take into account how they feel about things. And also, understanding a little bit helps you stay humble because you've now you you kind of you have a better feeling or you have a better knowledge of what you don't know as a result of that. So you know, I understand when I talk to people in marketing you know, how deep the marketing mix can go. And as a result, you know, actually how long it will take for them to to get X and Y done. I know a little bit about technology. And as a result, I understand that actually something that is they're saying is going to take two weeks probably will take two weeks. So maybe we do need to go back to scope. I understand because I'm a customer that I, I need these things and I need them because they solve a problem that's in my day to day. But I also understand enough about the business side of things that I can go, the business needs to get this done because these stakeholders need to look good at this particular point in time. How can we get them there? What problem is it trying to solve? So knowing a little bit about something means that I don't overestimate my own ability when I'm talking to people who are experts. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the the whole idea that you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room, but you should just ask the smartest questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would like to be the smartest person in at least one room in my life. But <laughs> but but yeah, on a, you and me both. Yeah. On a day to day basis, I, I definitely haven't been and, uh, and won't be for a while, judging by the, the colleagues and, and peers I have around me. Well, I'm sure they'll all be very glad to hear that. <laughs> so back to that article, which you contributed on yeah. for the BBC. How did you come to be interviewed by the BBC in the first place? So someone I know on LinkedIn posted a, a status talking about how lockdown had been affecting them, you know, the things, the challenges, you know, but also 
I saw so much at the beginning of lockdown about how positive it was in so many different ways. Like, I'm getting so much more done. My <laughs> days are so much more productive. I'm doing more exercise. And it really ran counter to the experiences that I was actually hearing from people around me, but also the experiences that I was having as well. And I posted a reply on this LinkedIn status that just said, you know, the endless meetings, the the pressure to deliver for some people, the fact that they're having to be teachers as well as as, as actual employees at the same time, the not being able to sleep as well as you were because you, you've just got your heads always buzzing with stuff. Anyway, a BBC reporter posted something out on LinkedIn looking for people to contribute, and he, this guy put me in touch. And we ended up speaking for, it must have only been about 10 minutes in the end, and painted this picture of me being the saddest man on earth <laughs> alongside two other people who were the saddest people on earth. And it was... I tried hard not to paint myself as being this really damaged and sad individual, but at the same time, really wanted to put across that other perspective that this really isn't all roses for so many people. And just because we work in IT doesn't mean we can just suddenly do everything as well as we could when we were in the office. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I think that I'm definitely not the a rah-rah positive guy but at the same time you know I, I like to try and make the best of things but it certainly seemed when the lockdown started and all these people are saying you know how many languages they've learned and you know how, how many different martial arts they've taught themselves on dvds and stuff like that and it's just like and they've read five thousand books and they've done this and that of all the time they've saved and all the money that they've saved and it's like yeah frankly half the time if you can just manage to get out of bed and do a day's worth of work yeah, with all the other pressures that are going on, it, it's yeah, you, you're doing all right. And I think that there was almost a, there was almost like a culture of implicit kind of like laziness blaming or something like that. It's like yeah, if you haven't done all these new things in this lockdown, then 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 you know you've not achieved or you you've been lazy and you've just been sitting there. It's like look, if you need to go and watch Netflix, you go and watch Netflix, right? It's fine. It's a it's a it's a it's a symptom of a wider problem of hustle culture. Yeah, exactly. That I think is so damaging to. To, to how people perceive themselves and their own success. A friend of mine described it, hustle culture as a bit of a sickness because people end up convincing themselves that the only way that they can be successful is to replicate the behaviours of people who have become incredibly wealthy through primarily luck. <laughs> um, and he uses, he uses Elon Musk as, a, as an example of this. And I have a great amount of respect for the way in which Elon Musk thinks. And I think he has been very successful for a number of reasons, but he inherited a huge amount of money at the start that allowed him to do some of the things that he has has gone on to succeed in. Getting up at 4am isn't going to make you a billionaire. <laughs> Not getting any sleep over the course of a week isn't going to mean that you're the next Bill Gates. There's a, there is, there's a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. He talks about the relationship between opportunity and work ethic yeah. and actually it's 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 the two go hand in hand it's not one equals the other um, or one equals success and and without luck most of us will just end up being pretty normal and that's also okay <laughs> yeah it's just like survivorship bias as well right you don't you, you don't see all the people that kept getting up before i am that you know you know had a heart attack at 50 or whatever because they uh weren't looking after themselves or whatever like that so yeah sure 
go, you know, like you say, all credit to these people for making a success of themselves. But at the same time, a not everyone needs to be a success like that, frankly. And b like you say, probably quite a lot of luck involved as well. Yeah, for sure. I think I have had to really make peace with the fact <laughs> that I'm probably going to be all right forever. There you go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to. I'm not going to change the world as much as I'd like to. I, it's. I have to be okay with the fact that I'm going to be okay, and that I should be just as happy and content and find contentment through things that aren't being this rock star individual in an industry or this thought leader is that actually I can just be me, have the great friendships I have outside of work, do a good job when I turn up every every day. I sounded like I don't turn up every day. I do turn up every day. <laughs> you know, it's been funny. And and a lot of people, it really resonated. And, and I, I spoke about it with that, with the reporter from the BBC. And it got, I think it got over 600,000 views. That's a lot of views. In the end. Um, I mean, nearly as many as, as li- listeners you have to the podcast, Jason. <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple shy, couple shy. <laughs> and it really resonated with a lot of people. And I did see on, t- on, on Twitter a few people mocking and saying, look at their sad little faces, which was very funny because <laughs> it, was angry, it was angry people in local newspapers all over again. But um, yeah, it was interesting because <laughs> it really resonated with a lot of people who were saying, oh, actually, I am really struggling with this. And it doesn't matter how hard my employer works in ensuring we have access to the right support for our own mental health and well-being. And it doesn't matter how many breaks you take in the day. What we're in is in a global pandemic and it's really difficult and it's okay to find it difficult. And it's only by sharing experiences and saying that, that I feel in this way and broadcasting that message to other people might well feel supported and that it's okay to feel like that. No, absolutely. Uh, but how did your colleagues and, and managers at work react when, when that came out? I mean, did they know it was coming or, or was it a surprise? And, and, and how did they react when they read through it and, and understood some of the struggles you were going through? It landed really well. And when I saw it take off, immediately I was a little bit worried because I hadn't cleared <laughs> it. I hadn't cleared it at work that I was going to speak to this person. I I didn't know they were going to mention my employer in the in the um, in the article at all. So when I got an email, I think that the following day, two days later, from the the regional HR director, I thought I was in for 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 the chop. I really did. <laughs> but all they were looking to do was just to check in and make sure I was as as supported as I could be. I think it's really really tricky for employers. You know, we can shout all we like about how, you know, a subscription to a mental health app is not going to solve all our problems instantly and that turning off your email after five o'clock might not well switch your brain off when you eventually go to bed. I think businesses are created around the culture and kind of shared experiences of people being together and not being able to support that because of the fact that we are in a global pandemic puts them in a really tough place as well as being squeezed financially themselves it's um, it's it's a tricky one but they they responded just superbly and said have you got everything you need can we do anything else just take care of yourself and and let us know if there's any any way we can support so yeah it was a bit of a turn up for the books because i hadn't expected to to be for the high job <laughs> Yes, like their, their their solution to you feeling a bit kind of 
stressed at uh, having to work remotely would be to 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 give you no job that take, <laughs> Can you takes imagine? one of the bits of stress away when i when i was waiting to have this call it was um i was speaking to a friend of mine and they said do you do you understand how bad that would be as a look yeah if after after writing or contributing to this article about mental health in the workplace they decided to let you go because you said nice <laughs> things about the way they were supporting you it's um it it wouldn't have made sense but uh, that was my own my own fears manifesting themselves in anxiety well yeah and manifesting themselves again because you don't have that feedback uh, kind of face to face and you can't see what people are thinking and, and and all that so yeah it all kind of goes back to the same root cause right absolutely jason but you specifically called out the fact that yeah your role as we all know involves a lot of cross team communications ad hoc conversations and I guess whiteboarding and spitballing and and stuff like that. Do you think that this kind of disconnected working is is somehow or is somewhat worse for product manager type roles where that's so prevalent versus, for example, the old cliche, but like a developer who can just sit in their shed developing? I mean, do you think that makes it worse? I think so. Yeah. From from the brief conversations that I've had with colleagues and peers and seeing online, I'm a, a member of the product management subreddit on Reddit, they have these discussions all the time, which is what kind of approach to working is best for product management. And genuinely, if the sooner we can move towards a blended model, the better I think we will be. I think product management needs to be a bit of both. We need to have that time to be able to get our head down manage our backlogs, certainly working for enterprise clients, spend the time in JIRA to make sure everything's clean, <laughs> make sure it's all up to date and all of this. Yeah, refreshing the page several times to make sure the page works, that sort of thing in <laughs> exactly, JIRA. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We need to have our head down, need to have the space to be able to do it. But also, we don't need to be away from the office and away from the people that we need to speak to on a day-to-day basis to get stuff done for too long. It's, like I said earlier, a negotiation role for me certainly at the moment and it's very hard to negotiate when you don't have the cues and the uh, the indications from that body language will give you that 80% of what someone says is is how they say it not necessarily the words they use i think is is really important for us as product managers and what were some of the ways that you managed to get back on track with regards to this stuff i mean you say obviously you're in a, a better place now i assume that that was a journey that as you progressed over time, you, you found some ways to get through that and to compensate for some of the things that you couldn't do that you normally do. Were there any approaches or tools that you lent back on or, or found that, that helped you get through that? A lot of it, I think, is propagating the right cultures, the working cultures around you. And um, I worked on a, a project for quite a lot of last year that was for a client and no one put their cameras on. And it's while I'm, I'm not a fan of having Teams calls all day long, it's incredibly demotivating to not see any faces all day. So being able to build up a culture of actually turning your camera on and interacting with people as much on a human level as you possibly can, that really helped. Another one was was stopping to put quite so much pressure on myself. And this alludes a little bit to what I was saying earlier is it's okay if we're not performing at the level that we think we are capable of at the moment, because this is a really weird time to be living and working. And 
just cut yourself some slack on that. I think certainly our workplace has never suggested that we should be any more productive as a result of our new working environment. There's there's certainly given us enough support to suggest that there is an expected dip in productivity. So cut yourself a bit of slack because everyone's in the same boat. Nobody's this isn't like this isn't this isn't a situation in which some people are more disadvantaged than others, certainly in our industry anyway. Everyone's in the same boat. You might respond to it slightly differently, but actually the tools that are available to you are pretty common across all these companies. So do the best that you possibly can and everyone will understand. You also called out presenteeism as part of the problem as well. I think you said that at one point you're working something like 14 hour days or something like that. And Freeman, you always had to be available and always there and, and, and always present. And I think that one of the things that really occurred to me during this whole, well, certainly during lockdown number one and then lock, kind of lockdown number two and lockdown three that we're in now is the need to kind of embrace asynchronous working to some extent. So, for example, it's okay if you need to take a little bit of time to go and sort your kids out, or it's okay if you need to go and get something from the door or take over from the other carer if you've got kids and, and stuff like that. It's it, Presenteeism, I think, is, is a big problem anyway. It was probably a big problem before any of this stuff started because people always feel that they need to be contributing or visibly contributing. But it, it can't be the answer that, that people have to keep doing that in, in a situation like this. And if anything, I'm hoping that the current situation helps us to break that in the future. Yeah. I, and make sure that then people can work more effectively. And as long as they're delivering and delivering to the, the goals that they're being set, then who cares if they have to take half an hour to do a thing? Absolutely. One of the really interesting things at the moment that has become more evident as a result of the, the situation we find ourselves in is the the I guess the digital divide between generations that are currently working together. So there's an entire generation, quite a few of them I guess in senior leadership positions, who built their careers on turning up early, leaving after their bosses did, showing that they're working incredibly hard, demonstrating through whatever, whether it's having a full diary whether it's output in terms of documentation or whatever, demonstrating all of these things in terms of how hard I'm working, that is very different, I think, to the way that we currently need to work for our own sanity. Being in the office and being at home, I think, is proved now that people can do it at home. And I don't think, for me, I don't think I'm ever going to be as productive if I have to stay at home forever, I've got no interest in staying at home forever. I like going in and having those interactions with people in an office place. But there are certain tasks and certain bits of work that can be done just as easily at home. Businesses are trusting people to get it done at home now. So businesses will have to trust that their people are getting it done when they're not in the office in the future because we have this 300 days so far of evidence to suggest that, that it's actually working out all right. So the presenteeism has definitely declined over time as even the people you felt like you had to impress by being ever-present and ever-online <laughs> have also stopped being ever-present and ever-online. The, the gap has definitely narrowed. Oh, absolutely. And again, I only hope that it 
continues through into the future. Now, obviously, some people will be able to sit there and say with a straight face that they 100% want to work at home all the time and they never want to go anywhere again. And all credit to them. And absolutely fine. Well, absolutely. But I think that any company that, that comes out of this expecting everyone to go back and sit in, in, a, in, a, in an open plan office 100% of the time is, is not necessarily going to be doing too well in the future and probably not attracting that much in the way of uh, good talent either, to be honest. That's true. And look, how many of how many companies, certainly in, in big cities, are still going to have the office space to, to accommodate all of their employees in the future? Yeah. Commercial rents must be a huge overhead. And the ability or opportunity to minimize those or shrink those costs, I think I'd be looking at that as a business leader and thinking that's a, that's a great chance for me to increase my profit margins. So you say, or you've said on your profile that your ultimate goal is to be a chief digital officer in the financial services space. And obviously you're very keen on financial services in general and have expressed uh, various uh, passions for for personal finances and pensions and stuff like that so i guess the question arises where did that come from why why are you so passionate about that area personal story coming up uh (laughs) i get the popcorn yeah absolutely the financial crisis of 2007 2008 2009 unfortunately my dad was one of the victims i shall say of of that crash he lost his business nearly lost the house. Um, and I I basically said to myself, I was 18, said to myself, I'm, I never, ever want to be in that position again. Surely there are ways of mitigating that risk in the future. And some will say that what that will have done is, is clipped my entrepreneurial wings and suggested that I might well be more risk averse as a result of that. And And chances are they're right. But for me, I am obsessed with being able to provide the security and stability for my family now and, and, and future family. And I don't think that organizations, big financial institutions, do a good enough job of enabling people to do that. And so my obsession has been and always will be in making sure that the people around me, the people who I respect understand the options available to them and the products and businesses that are out there trying to solve some of these problems. And that's really where it's where it stemmed from. I've just been obsessed ever since. The power of a workplace pension is uh, is something that I'm <laughs> I'm constantly proclaiming. Yeah, I I I mean I'm obviously uh, a bit older than you and and my dad went through a similar situation in the 90s and uh, recession that we had then and again lost his business we lost our home we got um evicted and 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 in you know temporary housing over christmas and stuff so i definitely understand where you're coming from there and i think that yeah i mean again it's a might sound like a stupid example but you look at things like the the big short and stuff like that and you just or look through some of the stuff that that happened and you just think there has to be a better way so you've, uh, as we've discussed, been on a bit of a journey this last few months and a journey that seems to be certainly uh, on, on a good trajectory. But what advice would you have for people, product managers or otherwise, that are struggling with remote working or, or other work-related issues? And, and how would you advise them to look after themselves? Exercise. And I know that's an incredibly ableist thing to say. So I will caveat <laughs> that. I will caveat that with, I understand that not everyone is capable of doing the same sort of exercise that um that, that another person might be able to so uh, so I, I do 
I do want to acknowledge that. But for me, there is there is only one way of, of forcing yourself. There's only one way of forcing myself to take time away from my computer, and that's by going and doing some exercise, whether that's going for a bike ride, even just going for a walk. Otherwise, we're always staring at screens, and they are just soul-sapping at this point in time because there is no delineation between a work screen and a personal screen right now. Everything is work and everything is personal all at once. And the only way of getting away from that is by getting away from screens full stop. So, you know, within your government mandated daily allowance <laughs> of exercise with the Yeah, don't drive anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's something that I would I would recommend first and foremost. It's it balances me out from a from a mental health perspective, alleviates anxieties. And um, and just gives me a little bit of time to think and not be in these four walls. And very lucky to be in the four walls. Walls we are, obviously. But I feel like I have to caveat everything that I say just in case <laughs> someone takes it in the wrong oh, way. Oh, typical typical woke culture. Huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's um, it's exercise unlocks so many different things for me. Otherwise, if you can pick up another book, I've been. Before this year, I was terrible at reading. Uh, bearing in mind, I did an English degree at university. That's, that's... <laughs> yeah, you should probably have learned to read during that. <laughs> I should have done, yeah. But but actually, I've lost the skill of sitting down with a book and just, just consuming it. And I sort of rediscovered that a little bit as well this year. So that's been nice. And escapism as well, sci-fi books, just that have no uh, sort of, that bear no resemblance to everyday life just allow me to go somewhere completely else. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have been reading a lot of books, but um, I'm such a cliche that all of my books have been in some way product management or business related, and I definitely need to have a word of myself about that. Not necessarily. You're a, you're a thought leader, Jason. You're, <laughs> you're driving change. I'll have a thought one day. <laughs> so you're all up for networking these days, as you discussed. So where can people come and find you if they want to have more of a chat or talk about some of the things that we've chatted about here? LinkedIn is the one and only place that you'll find me from a professional perspective. Um, I am on Twitter as well, but I don't do anything work-related on that at all. I did once set up a work-related Twitter and a week later forgot the handle and my password. So I've, <laughs> I've, I had a few followers on there and I've lost it and it's gone. Uh, one day I might set another one up. Probably need to this year if I want to do any networking online. Oh, that's what you could have won. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, now that's been really interesting and obviously glad to to hear that you've found your own way through this stuff. And obviously, uh, hopefully anyone else that's listening to this that's still struggling along can can you know, take some comfort from some of your words. Let's keep in touch. But for now, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you found our perspectives interesting and maybe even useful. If so, I'd love it if you spread the word and shared this with your friends. It's been a long slog through coronavirus and whilst the end's in sight, it's still not there yet. So whatever you do and, and however you feel, please keep talking and try to look out for each other. Thanks and good night. <laughs> <laughs>